0: Revelation chapter 12 this morning, Revelation chapter 12, we're looking at verses 7 through 17, and if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide under the seats, you will find this on page 1034, 1034, I've entitled today's message, The Devil's Demise, and as always I'll begin in a word of prayer, and then we will consider the text together. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father, we do thank you so much for just a lovely morning to gather together and to worship you. Lord, thank you for each of these dear people who have come to worship. Lord, what a delight to be together as a church family, people of all different ages and walks of life, but all united in their desire to come to honor you, to sing and to pray to you. To hear your words spoken and then expounded. Lord, what a joy this is. Lord, might your spirit come and minister to us in this time. Lord, we pray that you would take today's passage, that you would drive it home into our hearts, that you would use it to awaken us to the full spiritual realities that exist around us, that you would use it to help us understand our place in this great cosmic conflict. And Lord, that you would increase our resolve to be a part of it, Lord, to advance your glory, your kingdom in the world. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So friends, as I speak to you this morning, there are 33 active military conflicts taking place around the world. Some of these are very well known to us. Others are not so well known, but they include battles like the ongoing conflict between Russia and Ukraine the Syrian Civil War, the conflict in Myanmar, the ongoing battle between the Taliban and the Islamic State in Afghanistan, and closer to home there's the Mexican Drug War, the Colombian Drug War, and on and on it goes. And according to researchers, approximately 100,000 people are dying every single year in these conflicts. And this does not include deaths from secondary causes, like starvation and disease, things that often accompany war. So friends, there can be no mistaking, we are a world at war. But friends, beyond all of the battles taking place around us here, there is another war taking place. It is a cosmic war. And we can't see it, we can't taste it, we can't smell it, we can't touch it, but this war is just as real as all the others, and we are a part of it, whether we realize it or not. This is the cosmic war between God and the devil, and between his forces and the devil's forces. It's a war that's been raging for millennia now, and which will continue to rage for some time to come. And friends, the stakes in this cosmic war are so much higher than the stakes in any of the wars that we can see with our eyes. Eternity itself hangs in the balance for so many. The Bible speaks often about this cosmic war. Revelation 12 is one of those places. Now, last time we were together, we were in chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, and that passage offered us... A brief history of this cosmic war. We, we saw from that passage that, that Christ is God's solution to all that is wrong with the world today. Okay? And I'll say that again Christ is God's solution to all that is wrong with the world today. Okay? God's plan is to use Christ to make atonement for human sin, to remake the world on principles of righteousness. It was God's plan to use Christ to merit all of the righteousness that we would need to have a right standing with God. It's through Christ that God will establish His kingdom over all the earth, a kingdom of righteousness and truth and and holiness. So God is using Christ to bring all of His plans to pass. And these opening verses of chapter 12 explain to us that the devil knows that too. And so, almost from the beginning of time, the devil has been working to undermine God's plan. Before Christ came, the devil was at work in the world, circling God's chosen nation, the nation through whom Christ would come. He was trying to make it impossible for Christ to be born into the world Through that chosen nation. And then after he was born, the devil did everything he could to cut his life short so that Christ could not complete his assigned tasks. And yet, we saw from last time that God's will prevailed. Christ came, he lived, he died, he rose, he ascended back into heaven, and he is there right now, just waiting for his father's signal when he will return to establish his kingdom. Overall, you see, the devil cannot thwart the good plans of God. This is what we covered last time together. Now, today, we're looking at chapter 12, verses 7 through 17. What happens in this passage is that we move from the past into the future. And specifically, we're looking at the day of the Lord and a portion of that coming day known as the Great Tribulation. These are the final three and a half years before the descent of Jesus Christ to the earth to inaugurate that promised earthly kingdom. And we see here how the battle will rage on even into that coming day. But we also see God's plans to have the victory over the devil and all of his forces. Now, as today's text unfolds like a three-act play, In the first act, we see the coming conflagration. In the second act, we see heaven's celebration. And then in the third act, we see the devil's retaliation. Let's look at all three of these acts together this morning, beginning with act one, the coming conflagration. We see this in verses seven through nine. We'll begin in verse seven. The apostle John writes this. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Okay, So remember, this is future time. We're looking at the Great Tribulation. But as the Tribulation is taking place on the earth, there is also a battle taking place in heaven. And we see the combatants in this heavenly battle. On the one side, you've got Michael and his angels on the other side, you've got the dragon and his angels. Now, Michael is a very interesting figure in the Bible. Daniel chapter 10 calls him one of God's chief princes. That undoubtedly means that Michael is one of God's chief angels, okay? one of the highest ranking in the angelic order. Later on in Daniel chapter 10, he's also called Israel's prince which suggests that God has appointed the angel Michael to be the defender and the protector of that ancient chosen people. And then down in Daniel chapter 12, Michael is called Israel's prince. Excuse me, uh, chapter 12, he is called Israel's great defender during their great tribulation. This is undoubtedly why it appears here in Revelation chapter 12. Here we're in the Great Tribulation, so once again, Michael the angel makes his appearance. But this is what we have on one side of the conflict. We have God's forces represented by Michael and all the angels under his command. But then on the other side of this battle, we've got the dragon. Of course, the dragon is the devil. The devil and his angels, they're also called demons, they will be in the heavenly realm fighting against the angels of God. And so you can see that this cosmic war will finally come to a head. One day, all of the conflict will erupt into this great, open conflagration between the heavenly forces. And friends, it may surprise you to read here that the devil and his hosts still have access to heaven. Even now, even then, in this coming tribulation period, but indeed the Bible teaches that the devil does have access. You see, the devil's fall into sin sealed his fate, his doom is sure, but God did not bring all of his final judgments on the devil at the moment he sinned. No, God has decided to wait until a time of his choosing in the future. And so even now, the devil in his fallen state He has access to the throne of God. Do you remember the book of Job? And in chapter 1 of that book, where we have God holding this heavenly court scene, and God is on his throne, the angels are around him, and who walks in? The devil himself. The devil walks right up to the throne of God and begins accusing Job of hypocrisy. And then in Zechariah chapter 3, we again find the devil approaching the very throne of God, this time to accuse the high priest, Joshua. And so, yes, the devil's fate was sealed at his fall, but God has not brought his final judgments on the devil yet. That awaits a future time. For now, he still has access to heaven. He can still approach God and directly address God. And what is the devil doing with his access to God? Well, the scriptures teach us that he is using his access to accuse believers. He brings our sins to God's attention as if God needed that. He seeks to drive a wedge between God and his people. This is what the devil is using his access for. But friends, what we witness here in Revelation 12 is the end of all of that. The day is coming... When a great battle will rage in heaven, it'll be between God and his forces and the devil and his forces. And once again, God will prevail. The devil will lose. And when the devil loses, he will be cast from heaven forever. Look down at verse 8 now. It says, But he, that's the devil, was defeated. He was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. So the devil made his attempt. He waged war. Perhaps he was trying to gain the upper hand in heaven. Maybe he was trying to fulfill that great desire expressed ages and ages ago that he would have the throne of God. But he lost the war. And he was cast from heaven. He and all of his hosts never again. After this battle, will the devil be permitted access to God's throne? In verse 9, the Apostle John encourages us to really dwell on the significance of this truth. Verse 9 says, And the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth. And his angels were thrown down with him. Now you'll notice here how the Apostle John uses five separate titles for the devil, all in the space of just one verse. You see, John wants us to really grasp the magnitude of what has taken place here. Understand who the devil is. Understand the significance of this being finally being cast out of God's presence. So the first title that's used here is Great Dragon. The devil is the great dragon. This highlights the devil's ferocity. Then he's called that ancient serpent. This highlights the devil's cunning. It also is meant to recall our minds back to Genesis chapter 3, when the devil took the form of a serpent to tempt our first parents, Adam and Eve. He is that ancient serpent then the third title used is simply the devil. It's a word that means slanderer, and that's the devil's primary activity in heaven. He slanders the people of God before God's throne. And then fourthly, he's called Satan. That word means adversary, enemy, or it can mean accuser. Then the fifth title, he's called the deceiver of the whole world. That means of all beings, The devil is the one most responsible for the miserable state this world is in. This world, with all of its greed and corruption and violence and in all of its sin, it is primarily, primarily owing to the devil and his lies. Remember, it was the devil who first spread lies about God to Adam and Eve, tempting them to sin. And then after they sinned, the devil and his hosts have worked in every generation to draw people to himself, to pull them away from God. The devil is truly the deceiver of the whole world. My friends, this is the being that we are talking about today. He is real. He is powerful. He's God's greatest adversary and ours as well. But look what's going to happen to the devil one day. My friends, this great and powerful being is going to be thrown down. That phrase, thrown down, used three times in this one verse, and it'll be used again and again in the verses that follow. This being is thrown down, speaks to the finality of the devil's defeat. It also speaks to the abject humiliation of it. Again, the devil is this being who said, I will ascend above the clouds. I will be like the most high God. I will take his place as ruler of this universe. That was the devil's ambition. But what happens to him? He is tossed out of heaven and into the dirt. And so our text says, this dragon, this ancient serpent, this deceiver of nations, he will be thrown down, thrown down, thrown down. It will be over for him. Friends, you also notice that the verbs used in the verse are in the past tense. The great dragon was thrown down. The angels of his were thrown down with him. In grammar, we call this a proleptic aorist. It means that it's talking about a future event. But that event is so certain to occur that the author writes it in the past tense. There are many other places in Scripture where this happens. For example, Romans chapter 8. The Scripture talking about our salvation says, Those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And those whom He predestined, He called. Those whom He called, He justified. Those whom He justified, He glorified. Now, we are not yet glorified, are we? But it's in the past tense. He glorified us. Because our future destiny is so certain, it's written as if it has already come to pass. That's what we have in this text to a proleptic heiress. The devil will be defeated. He will be thrown down. It is so certain, we can speak of it as if it's already taken place. Friends, it's only a matter of time before the devil meets his demise. That's because the God of heaven is all-powerful. The devil may have strength, but he is not almighty like our God is. The devil is nothing compared to God. He only has his power right now because God permits it, and one day God will determine that his time has come to an end. God's power always prevails. What is the devil but a creature of God who is corrupted through his own choices? One day God will overpower him. The devil's demise is also certain because God is all good. God is all good. That means he is a holy God. He's a moral God. And God created a moral universe. And in a moral universe, evil is accountable to him. Evil deeds are accountable to him, and he judges evil. And so the devil, this deceiver of the whole world, he will one day have to face his judgment. You know, friends, God isn't just all-powerful and all-good, but he's also all-wise, which means God knows how to use his power to bring about his good purposes. And so you have no need to worry, my friends. The devil's time is limited. One day he will be cast out of God's presence. It will be forever. He will be cast down to the ground. And, friends, this is cause for celebration for all of the people of God. In fact, that's what we see in Act 2 of our text, verses 10 through 12. We see the coming celebration of the devil's defeat. The Apostle John writes this, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying this, Now, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down those who accuse them uh, who accuses them day and night before our God and so we see this great battle in heaven God prevails in the battle the devil is cast out and now all of the saints of God in heaven they are holding a celebration because of what they've just witnessed these are the saints of God celebrating here in verse 10 They note here that the purging of Satan from heaven means four things. First, it means that the salvation of God has come. The salvation of God has come. Not speaking of our spiritual redemption, you understand. That was secured at the cross, applied by the Spirit of God the moment we believed. Rather, this is speaking of our salvation in terms of our liberation from the oppression of the devil. From that point forward, the devil will no longer be able to stand before God, accusing the saints. No longer will the devil be able to seek to drive a wedge between Christ and his church, between God and his people. That will be over. All of the temptations, all of the misery, it will finally be over because the devil will be cast out. His casting out will be our salvation. And then secondly, you see, they celebrate the power of God because the casting of Satan from heaven is a, is a decisive exercise of that power. How, how else could God show his power? or What greater display of power could there be than in his expulsion of the devil himself? You'll notice the saints also celebrate the coming of the kingdom of God, meaning they're celebrating God's direct reign over all realms. Here he is directly taking hold of the devil and expelling him from heaven. This means the kingdom of God has come very, very near. God is no longer indulging the devil. And then fourth, they celebrate the authority of Christ because God is exercising his power through his Son. A great celebration will occur one day in heaven. You and I will all be a part of it. A celebration as we see the devil cast out of heaven once and for all. Now we come to verse 11. We see something remarkable here. John goes on, he says, And they... Who's the they? That is the saints in heaven. They have conquered him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. So the victory over the devil, it's not just God's victory. It's not just Christ's victory, but it's also the victory of all of the people of God. It's their victory too. They contributed to the victory. It says they they were victorious over the devil through the blood of the Lamb, meaning that Christ shed his blood for them and they had received that gift in faith. Now the blood of Christ was their answer to all the devil's accusations. The blood of Christ was also their motivation for giving their lives to him as living sacrifices. So by the blood of Christ, his people have also Conquered the devil. And it says, they conquered the devil by the word of their testimony, meaning through their faithful adherence to the gospel of Christ, through their confession of that gospel, even in the threat of death. Through this, they too share in the victory of Christ over Satan. And so the saints have their festivities. No friends, is a really important takeaway embedded in these words. It means that every time you resist the temptation to sin, every time you refuse to believe the devil's lies about God or about you, every time you stand for biblical truth in the public square, every time you share the gospel with another person, and every time another person believes in the gospel, you are contributing to the devil's ultimate defeat. You are contributing to the devil's ultimate defeat. You are snatching people away from the devil's reign. You are putting them under the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not permitting the devil to defeat his church through their sins. And one day, my friends, one day, as you watch God through Christ cast the devil out of heaven, you will be celebrating it as his victory and yours. Because you are one with Christ. You were his blood-bought possession. You shared in that victory as you lived faithfully for him throughout your life and then as you participated with him in heaven. So, my friends, don't grow weary in your Christian life. Don't grow weary. I know it's so easy. Sin is always tempting us to walk away from our commitments to Christ. And it seems like the same sins are constantly confronting us, just day after day, whether it's the sins of anger or lust or, or greed or, or discontent or whether it's sinful pride, whatever it is. Every day we battle against these sins and we feel sometimes like a defeated people, like we're just never going to overcome these things. Sometimes we're at work and we feel as if we're the only believer in our workplace. And and it's so difficult to be faithful in in that kind of an environment. And sometimes we have a tendency to walk through the Christian life with kind of an overwhelming sense of pessimism and a sense of, of weakness. But friend, understand that if you will just persevere in your faith, just keep fighting that battle. Remember what the Apostle Paul said? He said in Romans chapter 7, there are times when there are things I wish I would stop doing that I keep on doing. Things that I, that I don't do that I wish I would do. He explains the same struggle that we all face. And then he says, who can deliver me from this body of death? And then he declares, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Though you may feel defeated, yet you can still overcome You can persevere through the temptations and trials. You can continue to fight to be a faithful Christian witness at work, maybe in your own household. Maybe you're the only believer in your whole house. You can be faithful there. And as you are faithful, as you are declaring your allegiance to Christ at home and in church and in work and in your neighborhoods, you are proving that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. And his victory over the devil is and will be your victory too. Don't grow weary in your Christian life, my friends. We see here in verse 10 that there is a celebration coming. Verses 10 and 11. There's a great celebration coming as we see the devil finally meeting his end. Friends, if you think the celebration after World War II was big... With ticker tape parades and the the laughter and the the, the crying and the church bells ringing. If you think that was a big celebration, you ain't seen nothing yet. Just wait till you see God's greatest adversary and yours being cast out of his presence, thrown to the dust. Wait till you see the celebration that will take place then. And friend, you will be a part of it. And so verse 12 says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Rejoice. But now you see the passage takes a turn. It says, But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. So what happened to the devil after God Him from heaven. Well, he was sent down to the earth. Now now his only field of influence is the earthly realm. And we see here that the devil will be enraged. He can no longer touch God or his son Jesus. He cannot touch the saints in heaven. All that he has left are the people on earth. And so it says: Woe to you, O earth and sea! Now the devil's rage will be directed at you. But even in the midst of these very very somber words, there is this this message of hope. The end of the verse says, Because he, the devil, knows that his time is short. The devil will rage, but he will not be able to rage for long. He will be cast from heaven to the earth, and after that, from the earth to the abyss, and from the abyss to the lake of fire. God's judgment on the devil will be progressive. The devil knows... That his casting out of heaven is just the first stage of his final judgments. That is our hope as well. Also the hope of those who will be on the earth at that time. The devil may rage, but it will be short-lived. And then his final end will come. Well, that takes us then to verses 13 through 17. We'll move through these quickly. Here we see the devil's retaliation after he suffered this great heavenly defeat. Now he turns his attention to the earth. Verse 13, And when the dragon saw that he'd been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Remember, that's Israel, Israelites. So the devil can do nothing against God, nothing against Christ, nothing against the angels of heaven, nothing against the saints of heaven. So what's he going to do? He's going to go after God's chosen nation, Israel. Why? Well, because that's the nation that God used to bring Christ into the world. And if the devil can't touch Christ, he'll go after the people who bore Christ. That will be his new target. Which is why the book of Daniel refers to the coming tribulation as, quote, the time of Jacob's trouble a time of great hardship for national Israel. But even so, the devil's plans will fail. Look at verses 14 to 16. It says, But the woman, that's Israel, was given the two wings of the great eagle that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness and to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. That's three and a half years or 42 months. That's the whole length of, of the great tribulation. She's being protected through it all. Then continuing on, verse 15, the, the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. So do you see what's happening here? The devil can do nothing in heaven anymore, so he's turned his attention to the earth, and he specifically points his rage toward the nation of Israel. This is the nation that bore Christ, and so he is particularly enraged toward her. And he's doing everything he can, he will do everything he can to destroy that nation, hoping that by her destruction he will hurt Christ. But look what Christ does for her. He protects her, leads her away into safety and security. The devil chases her, and she outruns him. The devil unleashes a flood against her. Who knows what that flood is? Could be literal, could be figurative. But he unleashes a flood against her, and yet the earth itself swallows the flood. The devil can do nothing against this nation. God has great plans for national Israel in that coming kingdom of God, she'll have a central place in that kingdom, so God will allow nothing to happen to her. In fact, Romans chapter 11 says that God's plan is for all Israel to be saved, to be saved, not to be destroyed. And so the devil can do nothing against her. Well, that takes us now to verse 17. What's the devil going to do next? It says, well, then the dragon became furious with the woman. I'll bet he will be furious. He's absolutely powerless to do anything he wants to do. All that he can do is get angry. The dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. Now defined as those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. He can't hurt God. He can't hurt Christ. He can't hurt the angels. He can't hurt the saints in heaven. He can't hurt Israel. So what's left? The rest of her offspring. I take that to mean Gentile believers who are on the earth in the Great Tribulation. Gentile, non-Jewish believers, those who have accepted Jesus as their Messiah, but they're not a part of national Israel. He goes after them. They're the only ones that he seems to, to have any access to. And verse 17 ends with this very ominous image. It says, and he, the devil, stood on the sand of the sea. He is readying his attack on them. Chapter 13, will recount in great detail his plans to unleash his wrath on them. We'll get to that in subsequent weeks. But to summarize where we've been today, we see here that There is a great cosmic war taking place all around us, friends. It's been going on for millennia. It's going to continue for some time to come, but it will not last forever and ever. Here in Revelation 12, we're given a glimpse of the beginning of the end of that cosmic war. We see there will be a great conflagration in heaven. God and his forces against the devil and his forces. The devil will lose. God will win. The devil will be cast out of heaven forever, sent down to the earth where he will try to vent his rage on the inhabitants of the earth, but he will be thwarted at every turn. He won't be able to hurt Israel, so then he'll turn to the Gentiles. We'll see what happens to them in subsequent weeks. Simple lesson I want you to take away from this today. The lesson is that if you are in Christ, you are on the winning side. That is the lesson today, friends. If you are in Christ, you are on the winning side. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means you have come to Christ in repentance and faith. You believe in Him. You believe He's the Son of God, that He lived for you, died for you, rose for you. And that in believing, you have new life in Him. To be in Christ means that you're a part of Him, that He's a part of you. You live with Christ now. Christ lives within you, if you have that kind of a relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are on the winning side. So don't listen when the talking heads tell you today that you're on the wrong side of history. Don't let them point to the numerical decline of Christ's church in the West and tell you that your days are numbered. No, if you're on Christ's side, you are not on the losing side. Temporary setbacks do not mean ultimate defeat. Friends, we see how it ends right here. So friends, rejoice. Don't live in pessimism, live in optimism that you can persevere through this life by God's grace and then you will participate in the devil's defeat in that great coming day. Rejoice and do not fear. Do not fear. What have you to fear? That someone could take your body from you? God will give you a new body. And your soul will live forever and ever. And friend, do your part today to contribute to the devil's ultimate defeat. You can pray fervently for God's kingdom to come. God will answer that prayer one day. You can worship wholeheartedly. You know, whenever we believers gather together in corporate worship, we are are engaged in an act of warfare. Worship is warfare. Because every time we gather, we are declaring our allegiance to King Jesus and our repudiation of the devil and his lies. So worship wholeheartedly, pray fervently, witness boldly. Every time someone believes the gospel of Christ, another soul has been snatched from the devil's domain. Resist temptation so you will not become defeated in your Christian life and serve your local church with enthusiasm because the church is the vehicle through which God is achieving his plans in this age. My friends, you can contribute right now to the devil's ultimate defeat just by being a faithful Christian. Let's bow in a word of prayer now. Lord, we thank you for the time that you've given us and pray that you would use this text to help us understand that we're in the midst of a great spiritual conflict. That one day it will come to a head, but you will win. Our adversary will lose. And knowing this, Lord, help us to be emboldened in our Christian lives in the here and now. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.